Grace and peace, brothers and sisters. My name is Vicar Derek Kabilis, and I'm from the United Methodist Church of Uniontown, and I have a sermon for you today. Today's sermon uh, comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, the 10th chapter, verses 25 through 37, which I will read for you now. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? The lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor is yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him for dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and when I come back I will pay, pay you whatever more you spend. Jesus said, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. The title of our sermon today is Where Do I Start? It was preached on July 14th, 2019, right here in Uniontown. I hope you enjoy. to preach to you this morning from the title, Where Do I Start? Where Do I Start? Please pray with me. And now, most holy and merciful God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask that the words of my mouth and that the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Children, it seems to me, are terrific 
negotiators. I remember when my nephews were all very little, just, just starting to eat at the table, right? My siblings would make for them very well-balanced, nutritious meals, right? A little protein, um, some starch, plenty of vegetables. And, and along with that came the promise of a tasty dessert if the child ate his dinner. To which the child would invariably respond, well, how much? <laughs> what do you mean, how much? If you eat your dinner, you will get dessert. Yes, but how much of the dinner must I eat in order to get the dessert? See, this is brilliant. Without even making a counteroffer himself, the child has already injected into the parent's mind the idea that, of course, they're not going to eat the whole dinner. That expecting them to eat an entire plate of food before they get a brownie or a cupcake or whatever is just ludicrous. And so the parent says, oh, well, uh, I don't know, three-fourths maybe? The parents are already bidding against themselves. <laughs> the kid says, you know, I, I, I don't really know what fractions are, because um, I'm like five. So how about I take three bites? Now the parents know they're in a negotiation, right? Whoa, no way, three bites. How about 40 bites? 40? I can't even count that high. And the kid sits back and takes a deep breath and says, well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll meet you halfway. Five bites. <laughs> and I'm going to have to talk to my manager. <laughs> Human beings are natural negotiators. I had a friend who, hand to God, would negotiate at Target. I couldn't go shopping with him because it was the most embarrassing thing in the world. He'd get up to the register and ask for 20% off because he had been such a loyal customer to Target. We're all loyal customers to Target. But you know what? Most of the time, he'd get it. And in a way, you know, we're all negotiators. Politicians negotiate the laws, or at least they used to. Employees negotiate their salaries. Students negotiate their grades. Even those who, of us who, who, who don't have the, the stomach to do the full-throated, used car lot style of negotiation, we, we still do it all the time. Who's going to do the dishes tonight? Well, I did them last night. That's a negotiation. Who gets to, to pick the movie on Netflix? Who gets to choose which restaurant we're going to? Negotiations. We even negotiate with ourselves. You know, I stuck to my diet really well this last week. And I went to the gym three times. So... So therefore, I should allow myself to have that Cinnabon 
when I go to the mall. Right? Negotiation after negotiation. We calculate in our heads how much we should give to the church. Weighing how much we make versus how much we've given in the past. Whether we like the hymns that day. How good the sermon was. Or a beggar comes up to us while we're out on the street. We start negotiating inside our heads. Well, does he look like he really needs it? Did I already give it the office? Does he look like a drug addict? All these questions, the back and forth going on inside our heads and hearts, all in search of this, this blessed and mysterious state we call fairness. So that when the dust clears, we can say, hey, I gave a little to you, you gave a little to me, I got a little something, you got a little something. See, now it's fair. The lawyer asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Look, Jesus, I'll be honest with you. This life thing you're selling, it looks really good. How can I get in on it? What's the asking price? What are we talking about here? Shoot me an offer. And you know what? They work up a deal. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And, and you're all good. We can put you in eternal life today. Now it's a steep price to pay. All your heart, all your mind, all your strength. Loving your neighbor as you love yourself. I mean, let's face it, we all love ourselves quite a bit, don't we? But that's the price. That's what's on the sticker. It's in the scriptures. All the teachers know it. All the rabbis know it. If you want eternal life, that's just what it's going to cost. But wanting to justify himself, the lawyer asked, who is my neighbor? See, now he's negotiating. It's brilliant, isn't it? Like asking, how much of the dinner do I have to eat before I get the cupcake? The lawyer, of course he's a lawyer, by the way. No offense, Greg. Um, <laughs> the lawyer injects doubt into the conversation. Of course, everyone isn't my neighbor. I can't love all these people. That's just ridiculous. So just who is my neighbor? Is it the, the folks on my street? Is it the people in my neighborhood? The people in my city even? I'm much I mean, how much do you really expect me to spend on loving other people? How much time... Do you expect me to give to them? How much money? How much attention? What's a fair price? In other words, what's the minimum amount I can spend on love and get this thing called eternal life? See, that's the thing about negotiation. 
That's the thing about this search for fairness. Like the lawyer trying to justify himself, we, we like to think that fairness is about e- equity, um, that it's about what we deserve and what they deserve, that it's, it's even about justice. But I, what, but I think what Jesus exposes in this little exchange here is that fairness is just the word we use to sucker our bleeding conscience. Because all negotiation, whether it's on the car lot or in the classroom, around the kitchen table, or even in our own hearts, all negotiation is about getting as much as possible while only giving as little as you can. The most famous negotiator in the whole world once wrote a book, and in it, when asked to give a definition of negotiation, he said, I believe in spending what you have to, but I also believe in never, ever spending more than you should. In asking about who his neighbor is, in seeking to define just who exactly it is that he has to love, the lawyer is trying to find the absolute bargain basement out the door price of eternal life. So Jesus stops negotiating. He he gets out of this back and forth. He extricates himself and, and steps away from the logic of fairness. And he tells a story. Even in the fact that, that he responds to the negotiation with a story is such a lesson. That as long as you're negotiating, you continue to be trapped by the logic of negotiation. As long as you're continuing to participate in deal-making, then then you're living in a transactional, calculating universe where everything has its bottom price and the purpose of life is to try to find it. But Jesus is trying to get this guy out of that universe and into a universe of of boundless and and bottomless eternal life and eternal love. And the only way to do that, the only way to capture something of what it is to, to live that kind of life, to live in that kind of enchanted world, is to tell a story. I'm certain you know it, probably by heart by now. A man is robbed, stripped, beaten, and left for dead in a ditch. A priest walks by and and, and just moves to the other side of the road and keeps right on going. And then a Levite, someone from the family of priests and religious leaders, again walks right on by, passes on the other side of the road, And the only one who stops is a Samaritan. Now, you got to know that the man's ethnicity 
is not just some arbitrary detail. The Samaritans are an oppressed people in first century Judea. They were considered this this half-breed race between the Jews and the Babylonians. And, And they weren't allowed to worship in the temple. They weren't allowed to do business in Jewish towns or or even eat in Jewish homes. The the Samaritans in the first century were were the black folks living in in Selma, Alabama during during the time of the segregation. They were the the Native Americans during the Trail of Tears, the the Jews during the Holocaust, the Palestinians living in the West Bank. They were an untouchable race of inferior people. And this is the example Jesus provides of what true love looks like. It wasn't just the racial identity of the Samaritan, but it was the way that he cared for the man in the ditch. He didn't just throw him a few bucks so he could get a ride into town. He stopped and dressed the man's wounds. He poured wine over the cuts because it's a kind of disinfected. He poured oil on them to keep the flies away. He became intimate with this man's pain, with this oppressor's pain. He became intimate with his wounds, with his blood. He put the man on his own donkey which meant that the Samaritan would have to walk all the way beside it to Jericho. And then he took the man to an inn and stayed with him throughout the night. The next morning he gave the innkeeper two denarii, two days wage. How much do you make in a day? And told the innkeeper, to spend whatever he needed to, and that he'd pay him the rest when he got back. So just to recap, the Samaritan took care of a man who probably hated him because of his ethnicity, gave generously of his own means to care for him, stayed with him through the night, then promised to come back and check on him again. The lawyer wanted to know the minimum acceptable amount of love he had to give, and Jesus just gave him the maximal price. The lawyer wanted to know how few people he had to love, and Jesus just told him how many. The lawyer wanted to know how much love he'd have to give so that he could be on his way in through the pearly gates. And and Jesus told him that no, stop, love always circles back around. Jesus asked the lawyer which of these three was a neighbor to the hurting man. And the lawyer responds, the one who showed him mercy and Jesus says, go and do likewise. He never answered the lawyer's question. 
he never told him exactly who and how many people he has to love because that is a negotiation. And mercy is never the product of a negotiating heart. Let me say that again. Mercy is never the product of a negotiating heart. Negotiation is about getting as much as you can while giving as little as you must. But that's not mercy. That's just not love. Negotiation is a transaction, it's a deal, it's a game. And there are those who, who believe that all of life is that deal, that, that all of life is, is that game, who believe that one's, one's love is, is really just supposed to be for their friends and their family and, and maybe even for their church. But when it comes to everyone out there, it's all a game. It's all about the deal, what you give versus what you get in return. And you know what? That's fine for them. That's fine for them to, to think and, and to live by those rules. But you, what did Mary Lynn say in the, in the psalm? You are God's children of the Most High. There is no apostrophe in that sentence. It's not about you belonging to God. It's you are God's. With a lowercase g, you are partakers in the divine nature. And you are children of the Most High God. And God and God's children know no such scarcity. In God, there is always more time. In God, there are always more resources. There's always more love to give, even if God doesn't give us any, doesn't get anything in return. Doesn't the cross show us that? Doesn't the cross teach us the lesson of the way our Father loved the world and then beckon us to love in that same way? Yet we ration our time and our attention and our care because we don't want to be troubled or, or, or we think we might run out as if someday something or someone is going to come along and, and really and truly require our love. And if we spend too much of it now before that happens, then, then we won't have any to give. But the lesson of the Good Samaritan is that that person is already here. The body is already in the ditch. And there is a whole world of folks who have been robbed and beaten up and left for dead. Even in our own neighborhood. Even in Uniontown. Even in Lake Township. And Jesus wants to know, are we going to stop? And are we going to care? Are we going to get intimate with their pain and dress their wounds and give them some of our very expensive attention? Or will we just pass on by and move to the other side of the street? 
When I was in college studying religion, a group of us in class were, we attended a lecture on this uh, passage, and we were all so moved by the story that, that we went out and stood in the parking lot and we talked about how we would answer this radical call to loving our neighbors, how, how, how we could learn to, to love without limits and, and, and without boundaries. Should we, should we sell everything that we have and, and give it to the poor? Should we drop out of school and start a nonprofit? Do we go without shoes and, and, and donate our coats? What, what do we do? Where, where does it all stop? Then a friend of mine piped up, and he reminded us that we were still negotiating. We were still trying to figure out how much we have to pay for this thing called eternal life. And then he said one of the most profound things I've ever heard. He said something I will remember until my dying day. He said, we always want to ask, where does it stop? All this mercy, all this love, all this generosity. How far do we have to go? But love asks, where do I start? These words I offer to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Well, there you have it, brothers and sisters. Where do I start? I know how intimidating it is looking out at the world today and all the problems we have, all the disparity between people, the enmity between people, the anger, the poverty, the racism. There's need of so much mercy. We could all give endlessly of ourselves and it would only feel like a drop in the bucket. But I think we're being faithful. As long as we, we don't concern ourselves with where do we stop? How far do we go? Because those questions can get in the way of the most important question, which is where do we start? Thanks. May the love of God, the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you and be with you now and always. Amen.